right. So I've talked a lot about Noster and how I've been posting there mostly more than Twitter. And yesterday, no, it was two days ago, I got into my first dust up and I enjoyed it. I don't know why I thrive on this kind of thing, but I kind of do. Maybe there's something wrong with me. But in Twitter, I got in quite a few. Um, one of them was because I said Devontae Adams for a first round fantasy pick wasn't that talented for a first rounder. Uh, even though I was the one who took him, I said it just offhand comment and an FSGA interview during the uh, FSGA draft. It was a conference event draft. And so somebody asked me, put a microphone in front of me while I was drafting. And I just said, he's not that talented, but you know, I, I'm going to take him because they throw to him a lot. And it turns out I was probably wrong about that. Devontae Adams probably ended up in the Hall of Fame. I think he has other skills than the ones I was referring to. But anyway, that was the first time, maybe the first time, maybe not, but you know, all of the Packers fans, he was on the Packers at the time, just went crazy. There were like thousands of people because I think SiriusXM retweeted it just being like, you're an idiot. You don't know anything, you know, blah, blah. And uh, it was kind of funny because it was so benign. You know, I'm talking about a football player and how talented I thought he was. And I said for a first rounder, by the way, which is, you know, the elite of the elite. So it wasn't even that much of an insult to him. But even in even under that standard, I was probably wrong. But it just was the first time I had this massive dust up. I think there might've been other ones that I'm not remembering. And then the second one was during COVID. It wasn't anything COVID related. It was, uh, I said that school was kid storage because I've been homeschooling Sasha during the lockdowns and her math like jumped 10 levels after a couple of days of just doing it with me. And I said, you know, school's great for kid storage. And then people just went bananas. Like you disrespect teachers. You hate teachers, blah, blah, blah. So that was the second one. And then during COVID, I got a lot of them. You know, the first, the really, really big one was when I said that uh, some people think masking outdoors is kind because it respects other people's anxieties about catching COVID. But when I see people outdoors wearing a mask, it creeps me out like they would burn me at the stake as a matter of civic duty. And people just went bananas on that. Call, accuse me of killing people and all this stuff. Outdoor masking. So that was uh, April of 21. So we'd already known by then, like, that was ridiculous. It was such a benign. I was like, it creeps me out to see people outdoor masking. Like they'd burn me at, at the stake as a matter of civic duty. Like they're so compliant and I'm not wearing one. Um, so that just, you know, that was sort of the bomb that detonated the whole, uh, not even the whole fantasy industry, but definitely the millennial, the sub millennial fantasy industry into a rage against me. And, uh, and so I had a lot of, you know, more minor skirmishes after that with those guys next couple of years. But then there was a, a recent one, which I talked about on this podcast, because I talked about not getting a colonoscopy because um, I didn't want one. And I said, you know, I'm not weighing in on the risk reward, risk benefit of this procedure, but it is pretty crazy that in this day and age, you've got to spread it and take it in the A for a bunch of people in medical garb. And that's just considered like normal. That type of submission is just considered like normal in the course of prudent medical care. And so then people went bananas about that. This is dangerous. You're killing people, the whole thing all over again. And so, you know, that was the whole thing. And I had fun with it. And now I'm getting more hardened. You know, I'm like a guy who grew up in a rough neighborhood, got into a bunch of fights. And now I kind of like getting into a fight, you know, or I like, I like to compare myself to Bruce Lee and enter the dragon where he's like, got to fight like 20 dudes at once. Somehow after a few of those, you're like, bring it, you little bitches. I'll take all of you out. And so no, sir, which is this, you know, everyone's kind of awakened, right? They don't care if you post about the Middle East or you post about COVID fraud or the vaccine killing people, 
They don't care. No one's going to really get on you for that. But I wrote a post recently called Anonymity. And holy shit, it's the same thing happened on Noster because 80% of those people are anonymous. So I basically said, I'm spending more time on Noster. I said, I'm very glad it exists. I love the fact that it's a protocol like Bitcoin or email or just the web where it really can't be centralized or stopped. But my one complaint about it is that 80% of the people there, I'm guessing north of 80% are NIMS, pseudonyms. They're not using their real names. They're anonymous. And I wrote that, you know, the I understand the appeal of it. Like you are protected from unwanted real life consequences. Nobody knows who you are. So if you post something about the Middle East or something, you're not going to get People may jump on you on the plat on the on the protocol or on Twitter on the platform, but it's not going to blow back to your real life. So I get it. Of course, they pointed this out, but I also had this in the article. So many people, it's just like Twitter. I thought, oh, these are all awakened people, but no, they're just people, just like they are on Twitter. Um, that they don't actually read your post. They read a they skim it or they read a response to your post and they start commenting. And they were all arguing it's not consequence free. A lot of these NIMs have huge followings and their reputations are at stake. And I literally wrote, of course, it doesn't protect you from all consequences as many anonymous handles have built up large followings and presumably monetize them in most cases. So getting canceled or pissing too many people off still has that downside. Of course, 20 people probably objected to that. But I said, if you're truly anonymous, at least you won't get fired from your day job or disowned by your family and friends yet. And I said yet because I think AI may, I think AI is overhyped for what it's being billed as, but I think it might be very good at the task of matching up anonymous posters to their real life identities with just certain grammatical patterns and errors. And now I remember I had a, a second Twitter account that I mostly used to ask technical questions, although I did uh, find myself commenting on very large accounts. I never did the Kevin Durant thing where I was using a burner account to back myself up. I never interacted with my own account, but I sometimes like would you know, throw a barb at some large prominent account that I disagreed with. And I stopped doing that because I thought it's kind of cowardly. Like, why don't I just do that with my real account if, I, if, if I'm if i standing behind it? But I mostly use the account to ask like technical questions for OPSEC. You know, I didn't want to be found out asking this question because it would reveal something about my setup. So I was just using it for that mostly. But I realized that I deleted that account because I realized, I mean, again, it wasn't like, a big deal if I had been found out, but just that I used a lot of the same conventions that I use, you know, the, the way I write things, I would shorten a tweet using the ampersand instead of and, for example. And that is a huge tell. Like how many people do that? Not that many, probably one in a thousand at most. And so that would narrow it down pretty fast. And then just the way I speak and write, it's, it, you know, I would easily get found out. If they dredge that up and find it. That's fine. I mean, again, there's nothing that sensitive there. I was even conscious on that account of not saying anything, even to those, even if I was trolling some huge account, I was conscious of not saying anything that even then I couldn't defend. It was just kind of cowardly of me to do it that way. And I deleted the account, but I do think AI will expose some of those accounts, if not all of them, because I think that that's exactly the kind of pattern recognition that, um, that it's good at. So anyway, all that aside, you know, the risk of posting under a name and thinking you're not um, I just wrote that I'm against the practice generally. I wouldn't require that you have a uh, an identified account, KYC, know your customer policy. I'd say you should be able to post 
anonymously. I mean, I think the real danger is people impersonating real accounts. I don't think there's a danger so much for the, you know, the pseudonymous accounts to, to be pseudonymous. Like, okay, this is an account. It's somebody he's admitting that he's not disclosing his identity. He's not uh, purporting to be me or somebody else. So fine. That's fine. But I'm against it in principle, but I think it should be completely legal. And I think the protocol and platform should be designed to allow it. And obviously doxing somebody, exposing their identity, um, unless they've committed a real crime. I don't mean a thought crime. Like, oh, he said this thing about Israel or whatever. Not that kind of bullshit. I mean, like you actually murdered somebody and somebody knows and they can prove it. You bragged about it and they can dox you. I think that would be um, legitimate. I don't think you should ever be doxed just because people disagree with what you're saying. So I'm against doxing people. I think you should be allowed to have accounts. I think the the software and the protocol or the platform should be designed to allow anonymous accounts because I think some people actually really need it. You know, people like Edward Snowden or Julian Assange or people sending sensitive information to Julian Assange or Satoshi uh, starting Bitcoin and nobody knows who he is. I mean, there's good reasons, whistleblowers, not fake ass CIA whistleblowers that that everybody heralds. The New York Times says, oh, this brave whistleblower testified against the hate speech that's going, you know, that not, not bullshit fake whistleblowers. I mean, real whistleblowers. Obviously, the, you know, sometimes uh, anonymity is necessary. And so I don't, I think in general, it should be allowed for that reason. I think that exception is strong enough to make it that, you know, it's not for me to say who really needs it. But I think the average person, my only point of the, of the post was the average person, someone like me or somebody just posting a view that they have should post under their real name. And I gave a bunch of reasons. One is that when you're, when you don't use your own name, while it protects you from unjust consequences, like being fired from your job, it also pr protects you from just consequences, like being accountable for what you say. And so, you know, we all get triggered sometimes if somebody says something harsh to us, or we come across an opinion we think is horrible. But if your identity is attached, and it's why I was, I realized I was trolling these large accounts with my fake identity, my pseudonymous one, instead of my real one is because I didn't really want to get into it, start the dust up from it on my real account. I wanted to be sort of consequence free. And that's, you know, that's not good, right? I mean, it's better to say, all right, if I disagree with what this guy's saying and I want to say, this is bullshit, I should do it under my real name. And if his followers come after me, knock yourself out. That's that's the consequence of my speech. That's speech. Free speech is a right, but it's not a right to not have consequences. And I don't mean fake ass consequences like someone goes and finds your job and tries to get them to fire you. That's more like that's akin to speech suppression. I just mean people being pissed at you or talking shit about you on Twitter. That's that's a legitimate consequence if people don't like what you're saying. So without the deterrent of having, you know, some blowback, then you have the power to harm, inflict reputational harm on somebody without incurring the same on yourself. You don't have the deterrent from doing that. The normal deterrent we have in real life. If I want to go and talk shit about somebody in real life, then I've got to deal with the consequences. And I mentioned that in the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien uh, made the ring confer the power of invisibility. If you put the ring on, you're invisible. And of course, that's a huge amount of power that you can basically do things unaccountably. That's what being invisible is, right? That you're you can act on the world, but the world can't see you. And I don't think that Tolkien chose that power by accident because it seems kind of weird, like the the ring, the one ring that's the 
that must be destroyed in the entire book. The thing that's so powerful that should the forces of Sauron get a hold of it, it will be a, a dark age. It'll plunge everything into darkness and that Frodo needs to destroy what powers. It's just the power of invisibility. And so he chose that on purpose, obviously. And it means unaccountability. It's the ability to act without skin in the game. So it's like politicians do this. We print money for wars and the people printing the money and starting those wars, they don't have their kids going to that war and they're not going to probably get killed in that war unless they make it underestimate the second order, third order effects of starting a world war, which they might, but they don't really have skin in the game. They're acting and other people have to bear the consequences. And this is like what wearing the ring does to you, the power to act without consequences. So being an anonymous account is a little bit of that. Now, I understand why people want to do it. And it was, I think, Glenn Greenwald who first remarked on the irony that our public servants, these are public servants, know everything about us. They can spy on us. But, you know, we're the private citizens, but we don't know anything about what they're doing because they classify information and they make it hard to find out. And if you ask questions, they'll demonize you. You know, if you ask questions about COVID, they'll say you're anti-science, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're, you know, they, they use propaganda in the media to shut you up. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to have to justify what they're doing, where the money's going, how they got so rich, et cetera. So private citizens are completely exposed, yet public servants do everything in private. That's a very ironic state of affairs. And Edward Snowden kind of exposed how much they were really spying on us, supposedly private citizens. And since then, uh, the tools probably have only improved a lot and the aggressive collection of our private information has probably only increased. So you understand in that environment where the bad guys have the ring, they're all wearing the ring essentially, and you're completely exposed. You understand the temptation for these guys to operate under NIMS. They, they all have their NIMS, right? They want to wear the ring too. Levels the playing field a bit. And the ring did save Bilbo's life in The Hobbit when he found it and Gollum probably would have killed him, but he put the ring on and hid. And as I said, you know, Snowden was able to go public and you know, Satoshi was able to create Bitcoin without being shut down or have his house raided. So again, it's not an argument I was making that, and this is in the post, that anonymity is never warranted, but that it should not be the default if you're a regular person posting what you take to be interesting, true, or important in the public square. The social media posts are public, right? We're posting on social media. I'm not talking about my email to you should, you know, this podcast is public, right? I should do it under my own name. Um, if I send an email to somebody, that's private. If I send a text to somebody that's private, fortunately, we probably need end-to-end encryption because they're spying on it. And, you know, it's best to talk in person out at the beach, go swimming in the ocean with a friend and talk, you know, when the waves are making noise because they're spying on the shit out of you. I had a neck, a stiff neck and back, and I'm getting emails about these products that help neck stiffness. You know, last week I had a stiff neck and I was complaining about it. And now, of course, they're listening, you know, through your phones and, and everything else. And the advertising angle, creepy as it is, is, is probably the benign one. And, you know, I think about it, I'm doing this podcast and in earshot of my phones all the time, all the shit I say. So they're probably got a dossier on me, maybe, maybe not. It's probably just some AI absorbing it and hasn't even processed it yet. But the point is, when you're talking in the public square on social media, you do not have a privacy expectation. This is, pub this is stuff you're trying to say to the world. It's not stuff that's between you and one trusted person. So do it under your own name. And there's, there's a few good reasons for this beyond what I just said is that a post with an identity attached to it is more credible 
inherently, obviously, because your reputation's on the line. Now, I know they didn't stop people during COVID for saying just the dumbest shit that was found out, but at least there should be some incentive to get it right with your name on it, some more added incentive than if you're a NIM, especially a NIM without a reputation or a following. You can say whatever the fuck you want. And secondly, even if the person who's saying it is just a total shill and they're not really, they don't really care if what they're saying is true or correct, but they're just brainwashed or they're a shill or they're just a charlatan. Um, at least you know who they are, right? You know, this is a person who works for Pfizer or took money for Pfizer or who um, is, works for a corporation like ESPN, where you need to have a certain kind of view. And you kind of know why they're saying that because they kind of have to think that. Otherwise, if they were saying the opposite thing, ESPN would tap them on the shoulder and be like, you can't work here anymore. And I don't mean to pick on poor ESPN employees. I mean, it's it's everywhere, every corporate place. You can't really be talking shit about how the myriad side effects of the Pfizer vaccine and how um, it actually didn't stop the spread and how there's outright fraud and, and these companies. By the way, Pfizer and Moderna stock prices are getting absolutely destroyed because I think the market knows. Warren Buffett has the famous quote that in the short term, the market is a voting machine, but in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And the market often senses the truth before the narrative will admit it. So those stocks are getting destroyed, which I'm very happy to see, even though I bought some puts a couple of years ago and lost money because um, I was a little bit too optimistic on the pace at which the fraud would be discovered. And make no mistake, they have immunity. But um, if there's a showing of actual fraud, which I think the evidence is abundant, that there was outright fraud about that product, uh, they would be liable. And then all the employers that mandated it, I mean, th these these lawsuits are on their way now. And this is, this is going to be very interesting uh, how they, they come out because it could really be a seismic event. And even if they, they can't show outright fraud from the pharmaceutical companies, some of these employers that mandated it may have problems and there are cases on the docket about this right now. And this is one of the reasons I think they're kind of hastening to World War III because the accountability in this is so vast. And this is just one of many, many things for which um, not just during COVID, but the whole financial system is going to be held to account. And uh, a war is probably arguably the best out they have. And so I'm unfortunately think we might see something that's not just a local regional war, but something that gets a little bit bigger that sort of this, all this stuff gets put on the back burner. But anyway, I'm digressing a little bit from my post, which is that using your own name, first off, there's more credibility involved. Secondly, even if you don't care about your credibility, other people can better assess it. They can assess like who you work for and you know where you work and sort of have an idea um, uh, based on that of, okay, is this a statement against interest or is this just a statement that's helping them career-wise, right? If Mina Kimes does a histrionic performance about how Aaron Rodgers is selfish, you know, we can kind of say, yeah, she's saying that, but it's kind of in her interest to be very against Aaron Rodgers, not complying because of, you know, it's, she's going to be rewarded for that socially and professionally in her circles. So we don't have to take it very seriously, but if somebody in her shoes were saying the opposite and saying, you know, I stand up for Aaron Rodgers rights and, you know, he's a grown man who obviously takes good care of his health. He's in his late thirties playing quarterback. I think he was MVP that year at a high level. Um, and so who am I to tell him what he should be doing and putting in his body? And I think that other people doing that are at best misguided and at worst doing this opportunistically. And, and I hate to see it. If she said something like that, you'd be like, wow, that's really against her interest. Now ESPN probably wouldn't have aired that or they would have <laughs> deleted that clip. 
but then you would have been like, wow, that's something really to, to pay attention to. But a statement, you know, just in the interest of her professional and social advancement is, uh, is not really very noteworthy. But this is, these are kind of the two minor reasons, the sort of reliability of the information ecosystem. Uh, these are the minor reasons. The, the major reason to post under your own handle, again, there are, if you're gay and you're in Uganda where they kill gay people, I wouldn't be posting about gay rights under my own handle. I mean, I think there are certain situations where anonymity is, is necessary. And so um, I'm just saying for the regular person, and I'm not even saying it should be mandated. I'm just saying, this is my advice. This is my opinion. This is what I think should happen. I don't think it should be forced to happen. I think that you should do it mostly because it's just much more based and there are consequences to that. So if you put your own name behind your podcast or your columns or your social media posts, you're basically saying to the censor, fuck you. I have a right to free speech. What I'm saying is not abhorrent. It's not extremist. It's what I believe. It's what I think is true. It's what I think is important to communicate and it's valid. To, to hide behind a, a nim to say it is really to say, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable saying this publicly. And you're sort of adopting their frame. And their frame is no decent person would hold your opinion. If you were a decent person, you wouldn't think this. And that's what the only reason you're posting behind the nim. Now, a lot of people say, well, no, it's, it's not that. It's that I'll get fucking fired from my job if I do that. Uh, in which case, you know, I've just fucked myself over for no reason. But the, the whole thing is like, A, how long do you want to work at a job where if you just speak your mind as you honestly th see things earnestly, not shilling for some agenda, but just as you earnestly see things and they would fire you for that, is that a place you should be enriching and adding value to over the long term? I would say no. And secondly, you know, maybe a lot of people at your job, including even some of the principals at the business, agree with you, but they think that they have to fire people who dissent because of the environment, because people like you are not standing up. They don't know that you think what you think because you only are expressing it under a nim. So all these normies who actually think a lot of the shit that I'm saying, and obviously there are many, but nobody knows which normie is saying it. So it's too dangerous to guess. Um, this whole way of hiding and doing things underground is only reinforcing the frame of the censor. You're validating the contention that no decent person would hold your view. You're ceding your right to free speech tacitly. You're saying, I'm only saying this if I can't be identified rather than standing up for it and saying, this is my right to say this. And I'm willing to take on some consequences because ultimately I'm in the right. And if everybody were to say that, everybody who believed it were to say it, uh, the, the push for censorship, I think would just be dead. I think it's only because there's so many people silently pretending to go along, right? Because you go to the job where you don't have the right to dissent, where they actually would fire you for saying some shit, or at least there's a high probability you don't know for sure. And again, if you did it, maybe other people would be inspired to do it and they wouldn't fire you. But you know, let's say realistically, as far as you can tell, there's a high probability that if you spoke your mind under your real name, you would be fired. You're basically contributing to this possibility itself. In the short term, game theory, in the short term, uh, it's good because you didn't get fired. But in the long term, you're contributing to an environment where people can be fired for this and will be fired. Whereas if everybody just stood up and it was just normal to have difficult conversations and speak your mind, nobody would get fired for this shit because everybody would know, oh, yeah, lots of my employees have very controversial opinions and that's just okay. It's totally fine. We don't fire people for that. And nobody can pressure us to because everybody's employees have these opinions. It's a game theory thing where if you go along with it and comply, it's good for you in the short term in a narrow sense, but it's terrible overall for you because we're constantly having our rights eroded. Uh, every time that we comply with this and pretend to be complying, like you're not really complying because you're saying shit under your nim, but you are complying. Your, your, your real life 
identity is, you know, tacitly saying, yeah, I'm good with this. I don't say anything that would bother you because I don't want to be fired. So speech attached to identity does not pander to and enable this encroachment on your freedom of expression. And to speak to, with your own identity attached is to announce to the world that you're not afraid, you're not ashamed of what you're saying. And it's more persuasive for that reason. This person, I actually know who that person is, is speaking out. It's more courageous and it's more likely to inspire courage in others. In modern parlance, posting with your identity attached is more based. And I said, so what to make of the world's first decentralized peer-to-peer content protocol being filled with anonymous handles. And I said, the optimistic view is just a remnant of centralized media where they really could throttle your reach or deplatform you for wrong think. And, you know, it made more sense, I guess. They'd still deplatform your name, but you could just sign in with another name. But hopefully people realize this freedom tech is unstoppable. It's like Bitcoin, it's like email. And now, you know, I'm going to post with my real name and you know, fuck cancel culture, fuck the censorship industrial complex and all the creativity it's killed and self-censorship that it's caused. Hopefully we have a real public square protected legally by the First Amendment and enforced by an uncensorable, unstoppable protocol. And last line of the, of the post is toss the ring. You don't need it anymore. And that was my hope. So I posted that and you may disagree. You may think, you know, the environment is still pretty fucked and I still want it. And as I said, it is unfair that the government is doing this, and but they can find out about you. And so it's a way of evening the playing field. But um, again, I think you're buying into the frame who can think about it. And also I said explicitly, which I do really believe that nobody should be forced. Nobody should be doxxed, period, unless you murdered somebody and there's great evidence that you did so. But also I think the, pro- I think the protocols and platforms themselves should be NIM friendly. It should be an option just because some people really do need it. And there's still valuable discourse contributed by NIM. So I think it should definitely be an option. But even with those caveats, and this is just an argument I'm making to persuade, not to force, people went bananas. They're so pissed. You know, like some people were like, and you're two steps away from a social credit score. And I said, to the dude, no, 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 dude, you, you, have, you have a reading comprehension problem saying you this should be absolutely voluntary and encouraging people as a matter of free choice to do this. It's not two steps away from the WEF social credit system. It's a fucking million miles away from that. So all these people, there were a couple of prominent NIMS who were like another fucking midwit posting about the end of anonymity. I'm going to mute. So these guys, you know, they, they're in the free speech protocol. And again, I think you should absolutely be able allowed to mute hundred percent, like for any reason, even if you're just being a total pussy and you don't want to hear a steel man argument against this, NIM that you use, you should still be able to mute me. It's up to you what content crosses the gateway of your awareness. I think, you know, it's not up to me to say what you have to view. You have to listen to me. Free speech doesn't mean I can grab your ear and yell into it. I mean, it just means I can say it and you can walk in the other direction if you don't want to hear it and you can mute me. But I'm also allowed to say, dude, is totally cowardly, right? Because um, he believes what he believes, but he doesn't want the steel man argument. He probably just has the straw man version that he wants to be like, oh, fuck that guy, like the Jordan Peterson version. Actually, to be fair to Jordan Peterson, I didn't read his full argument against it. He was getting swarmed by some anonymous trolls and he got uh, pissed off about it, but I didn't actually read his argument. But my takeaway, which is actually unfair because I was just mostly reading the trolls who I thought were funny, were just like, okay, boomer, basically. They were calling me a boomer, right? My picture is on Nostra, the same one I have on Twitter. And I'm 52, and I think I look about 52. I've been mean, have gray hair. And they were like, okay, boomer. And I was like, 
what my picture looks like. I'm a boomer. I'm 52. I'm Gen X, man. Fucking boomer. What do you mean? And, and one guy was like, Oh, you see exactly. I have the advantage over you. I can see your picture and mock it. You don't know what I look like. I'm like, dude, just like all the fucking content I post on Noster under my own name, I stand by it and I'll defend it. And my picture, which I chose to put that picture up. I don't give a fuck if you mock it. I chose that picture. I stand by it. That's what I look like. You know, I'm fine with it. I'm not ashamed of my appearance. I'm not ashamed of my views. Fuck you. You know, you fucking coward. Oh, I have an advantage. No, you don't have an advantage. And he said something else about, oh, I'm, and I'm being kind by not going even more. I'm like, you're not being kind and you have no fucking advantage. And then in the end, the guy was pissed and he was basically like, he, he signed some guy who's not reliable. Because I said, I posting under your own identity is more is inherently more reliable, which it is. And he was saying there's some very reliable NIMs, like this guy, Dergigi, who I think is very reliable. I agree. I said, just because some NIMs are reliable and trustworthy doesn't mean that having your real name attached doesn't add a layer of reliability inherently. It doesn't mean that there's many people under their own names, like Rachel Maddow, or who's that guy, Max Boot, who are laughably unreliable. They're just charlatans and shills for the narrative. So it doesn't, it's not going to take an unreliable person to make them reliable. And a reliable NIM is going to be 10 times more reliable than, than an unreliable identified person. But just all things equal, putting your name behind what you're saying does add a, a sense of reliability. And, you know, he was saying that. And then at the end, he said, sign some guy who's totally unreliable. And I was just sort of like, dude, don't take it personally. I don't even know who you are. So it was kind of funny. These guys took it very personally. And I found sort of the nerve and I hope I'm not just a troll, like a, I mean, I am a troll. I mean, I am somebody who likes to say the thing that, you know, that I think is like the elephant in the room that people aren't really acknowledging all these supposed freedom lovers hiding behind their nims. I'm kind of like, yeah, dude, but you're not really, you know, you're on this freedom protocol where they can't stop you. And yet um, you, the things you're saying, you don't want to put your name behind. And some of them, the, the best objections I thought were like, they said, Obviously, there's certain people who need to do it, uh, working with sensitive material or whatever. But everybody thinks that, oh, well, it's inconvenient to me or it could cause some problems for me. So you think that you're you know, Julian Assange all of a sudden. But most of us are not. And so most of us don't really need that protection. And then the, the, the one was, they were like, well, I'm just posting socially, like to hang out and chit chat with people that I like. And I'll reveal my real life identity to them selectively, you know, when I trust them the public square has a lot of freaks and weirdos. And, you know, I wait till there's people I trust. And I think that's totally valid, actually. If like you're, if you're basically using it for social media purposes in terms of socializing, shooting the shit, asking technical questions, doing things for like a very niche purpose. But I think if you're actually posting your, your views that, you know, you want to air to a wide audience, not just a, a select subgroup that you're having technical chatter about or, you know, fantasy football, Twitter or something, or, you know, where it's like really not important. You're really just talking about that. I think that that is kind of valid. Like it doesn't really matter. You're not really participating in the public discourse in any meaningful way. Um, you're just using it as a way to connect with particular people. Uh, I thought that was the strongest objection, but I, I'm talking about people who are actively being like, this is my view on the way you know, on, on political matters or on the state or on things that you're trying to reach a, a large audience, you know, you know, realistically, you're going to be limited by the throttling of Twitter or your natural reach. But theoretically, you're saying it to the world, to the internet. I think in that case, 
say it under your own name um, to the extent that you can. That's my advice. That's my preference. That's what I think you should do ethically. Even though, again, I, I think you should absolutely be allowed to do it the other way if that's your preference. So that was that. I just thought it was pretty uh, interesting. And, and, and the other, I, I'm kind of making fun of some of the people, but some of them were serious, more serious. And they were more like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? One guy was like, oh, I work in Hollywood and I would be pilloried. And this is a guy, this guy's hilarious, actually. He actually thinks 9-11 was a conspiracy. Now, I think there's a lot of very fucked up unanswered questions about 9-11. Like, why did Building 7 collapse the next day, two blocks or a block and a half away from the World Trade Center? That was very weird. What was in Building 7? That was just not, that is not explained very well. And then there's a lot of questions about, you know, how the buildings fell and whether it was really jet fuel melting steel and, and all that stuff, which I think are legitimate questions. But this guy was actually saying, and he made a good argument for it. I'm not going to, he, he said the whole thing was fake, that there was nobody basically in the towers that day. There was, you know, only a few people and that um, Cantor Fitzgerald, which lost, you know, so many people that that was like a CIA front, that whole company. And he had this whole theory about this, how it was basically special effects and, you know, the planes were empty or I don't know exactly what he, I don't know the whole thing. He, he made this case for it and that basically the one that crashed in Pennsylvania, that all the people on the plane, those planes weren't very full. They were like actors and they flew them and they deplaned in Ohio and then crashed an empty plane. I don't know exactly the whole thing. I, um, I, again, I don't, I'm not saying he's definitely wrong because given that uh, they literally created a virus, lied about it, they, they did gain a function research to create a virus, pretended it was, you know, zoonotic, and then made up all sorts of nonsense about how you shouldn't take vitamin D or antibiotics that killed a lot of people, then actually killed them with ventilation, all to get people to take a vaccine that they then mandated, and then ends up killing people and doesn't even stop the spread. After that happened, I think like all bets are off in terms of what you can say is, you know, this definitely did or did not happen. But I only bring it up the way he says it, although he explains it a lot better than me, is that he's just saying some shit that's like really, you know, outside the narrative. It is way, way, way the fuck outside the narrative. Way, way, way the fuck outside of it. But it's under a name and, you know, he works in Hollywood. So, you know, those people would fucking, they would not be happy if they knew he was saying that. But I just, I don't know. I just feel there's something like so disingenuous about that. Cause it's like, Hey, why are you still working for Hollywood? He's like, well, you know, I got to feed my kid, feed my daughter. Like I'm not going to be unemployed. And I get that, but long-term like, okay, so shouldn't you be finding another job in the meantime where you believe this shit that is so fucking counter to what like it would require to work in the place you work. And yet you're still working there. You're still keeping you know your head down and going along with it. I mean, it's not just like you mostly believe what they believe, but you have a couple discrepancies and you kind of let it go. You believe some shit that they would, that they would just think was so insane. And again, I'm not mocking him for being insane. Again, I don't think anything's insane. I think make your case. That's all I think. You know, I, it's going to take some persuading for me to go that far. But if somebody makes the case, I'll listen because I don't, I just think we're at a point where a lot of things we think about history and about how things work are in serious, serious question. And there's just too many people out there who are awake to some things. And you see this in the Middle East conflict. A lot of people who are just like, this is how it is. And we need to wipe them off the face of the earth who were very skeptical about COVID. So it's like they're awake to, you know, how corrupt the situation is about COVID. And yet, you know, they're like, okay, let's just be real about this. Not everything's a conspiracy theory now about something that's, you know, more dear to them. 
and I kind of feel like, well, you know, this is, this is kind of this triangulation strategy or uh, limited hangout strategy where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wide awake. I mean, Pfizer is up to no good. And how can you trust the pharmaceutical companies? But they're like, let's not be crazy and think it's possible that Israel had intelligence about that attack and still let it happen for geopolitical advantage. Again, I'm not saying that happened because I don't fucking know. I'm just saying I'm entertaining that possibility. Hell yes, of course I'm entertaining that possibility. I don't trust the Israeli government that forced this injection on its people. I don't trust them at all. I don't put anything but past them what they would be willing to do. The US government killed, uh, you know, half a million, a million people in Iraq for fake weapons of mass destruction. You don't think the Israeli government is capable of doing horrendous things? You think they would only do horrendous things to the Palestinians? They wouldn't do that to their own people? That they didn't mandate a medicine on healthy young Israeli citizens? Of course they did. They experimented on their own people. So the idea that if there were some advantage to be gained by letting this in, that this is not possible, that this could be that, and people are like, don't be a conspiracy theorist about everything. Well, Mr. Reasonable here, suddenly Mr. Reasonable, right? So you you have a lot of things in common uh, with the narrative. You just don't believe it on COVID. You know, Alex Berenson of all people was calling, who was he calling a conspiracy theorist? He was calling somebody else a conspiracy theorist. I can't remember who it was. I mentioned it in a prior podcast. And I'm like, you? Really? You're calling someone else a conspiracy theorist when they were calling you a conspiracy theorist about the lab leak and other things that you were dead right about? I mean, how how can you suddenly adopt, you know, and, and I think there's there's great, advantage to be made of being the guy, the limited hangout guy, the guy who's like, oh yeah, yeah. It, it gives sort of a, an explanation to the normies who are starting to question some very weird things. The cognitive dissonance is too big and you help them out by saying, oh yeah, yeah, that was fucked up. That was false. But I'm going to affirm all the rest of your narrative and make you feel comfortable. Nate Silver does this. He got pilloried a bit for speaking some uh, things that were true. I can't remember what, but he said some things that he questioned a few things and people got on him. And then now he's like, Mr. But you know, I do think the, the vaccine really pr did protect against COVID. You can look at the red and the blue states and see the disparity in COVID deaths. And it's like, you do realize dying of COVID and with COVID numbers were totally cooked. And then also the numbers of who was counted as vaccinated and unvaccinated were totally cooked also. So if they're paying hospitals more to, they're reimbursing them more uh, for a death that's marked with COVID, a COVID death, they're going to be marking those as COVID deaths. And if the entire pharmaceutical government apparatus is pressuring people to move these booster shots, get these, get these in arms, the idea that you would classify unvaccinated people dying with COVID as dying of COVID to make those numbers look worse, and then classifying people who had had a shot and may even be dying from an adverse reaction to the shot as unvaccinated because they didn't unless you had both boosters and 14 days later for the so-called immunity to kick in, um, they marked you as unvaccinated. So, you know, these books are cooked, but Nate Silver is trying to seem reasonable and parse the data in a way that, you know, gets them back in the good graces. I think, I think people do this unconsciously. We all have incentives. And I think that uh, beware the the suddenly reasonable guy. Vinny Prasad is another guy who said some base shit about COVID and was awake to a lot of it, but would say things like, well, you know, the, the mandates were wrong because it turns out the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. But Vinny Prasad, do you realize what you're saying is that if it did stop the spread, then it would be okay. And now what you realize is you're saying mandates are okay. It's just, they were not effective. That was the problem that the effectiveness was the issue, 
not the fact that you're making people take medicine they don't fucking want. So, you know, by arguing against the mandates based on an efficacy standard, you are implying that that's the standard, not the Nuremberg Code standard, which is voluntary informed consent of the subject. And so what happens if you make efficacy the standard? Well, that's okay because then only effective vaccines will be uh, forced. And, you know, if they're effective, that means it's good. No, what'll happen is exactly what fucking happened the last time, which is powerful forces will lie and convince people that it is actually effective, which is exactly what they said. Take this and you won't get COVID. They, they promised you that you can't catch it and spread it. Rachel Maddow and Joe Biden and a hundred other shills for the, for the regime did it. And they pretended it was effective until the evidence was just so overwhelming. They realized, oh, by the way, sorry, 200 million of you took this, but we actually realized it's not effective. And oh, you know what else? Yeah, it's kind of coming out that it's not safe. Oh yeah, but we thought it was. So effectiveness can never be a viable standard because that's going to be manipulated. Manipulated. That's why we have rights. That's why we have a Nuremberg Code. Mandates are impermissible fucking period. Why? Because... It's the only thing that protects you against powerful people manipulating data, manipulating public opinion. It's the only thing that protects you is the rights. And so Vinny Prasad, Mr. Reasonable, oh, you know, it really wasn't effective. We can all see that. Oh, great. Someone's finally saying it. But you're implying that if it were that you're, you're that the effectiveness standard is okay with you. So you've got a lot of these people posing as the voice of reason. I'm tempted to do it sometimes. I'm tempted to, you know, debunk some guy, you know, that guy who was pissed off at me for... Um, suggesting that anonymity is not the way to go, who works in Hollywood. I, you know, I'm tempted to be like, oh yeah, what about your ridiculous 9-11 theory? But I'm not, I'm not the voice of reason on that. I'm not going to do that because there's shit that I would have thought was totally ridiculous that I now believe is completely true. And so how am I going to use that against him? You know, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say, maybe, maybe it's true. I'm not persuaded yet. So the way to go, if somebody says that's a conspiracy theory, be like, yeah, and it might be true. Um, and you say, well, what are you just going to believe, you know, Pizzagate and everything else? And I would say, no, I'm not going to just believe it. I'm going to wait for evidence and persuasion. Be like, well, you have time to look down every rabbit hole and look at all the evidence? No, I don't. So I'm just going to be agnostic and say, it's probably not true, but it could be true. And if I was shown the evidence and if I were motivated enough to dig into the evidence, I might actually believe it were true. I'm starting to think the 2020 election was stolen. I thought it was probable. I think they would steal it if they could steal it. I think they had a mechanism to steal it with the mail-in ballots. If they would steal it, if they could get away with it. I mean, do you really think that either party wouldn't steal the election if they could get away with it? Of course they would. You think, that, oh, there's some ethical line. They'd be like, well, we could steal it, but you know what? That's just not ethical. Even though we won't get caught and we'll get all of our agendas passed and all of the donors happy and everything is going to be good in our lives and be rewarded socially and professionally forever, but ethically, it's just not right to steal the election. You know, we'll, we'll make people take medicine they don't want, even though it's not really been tested, even though some of the trials showed that there are myriad serious side effects. But we draw the line at stealing the election. There's no way we would do that. Of course, they would steal the election if they could. And then the only question is, did they have the means? Did they think they could get away with it? And did they have the means to steal it? And I would say, well, the fact that there were mail-in ballots that were unauditable seems like a means to me. Now people say, oh, what about all of the recounts and all of the blah, blah, blah. I don't know. To me, that's just manipulated stuff. Like, I don't know. I'm not there. I don't know who's vouching for that. But I've heard some things recently that seems like a lot of the stuff was fraudulent. Do I know for sure? No. But, and have I looked into it at like a deep dive? No, I have not. Just from a first principle standpoint, I think they would steal it if they could. 
I think there was probably a chance with the mail-in ballots to the extent that I understand what that means and that most likely it was stolen. That's what I think, but I don't know. And so something like that, I wouldn't thought was possible. Something, well, no, something like that I, I did think was possible from the beginning. I, I was agnostic from the beginning. I'm agnostic now, but I'm more, if I had to bet 50-50 even money, I would say it was probably stolen. So this 9-11 thing, that's okay. I'd, I'd like to hear the case for it. And he did make a case. But my point is, please call me out if I'm doing the reasonable, the reasonable man uh, shtick. You know, oh, I'm the reasonable guy. I don't believe this crazy shit, but here, you know, using against other people that may just be one step further down than I am. Again, they may actually be fucking crazy also. I mean, I may be wrong about a lot of shit too. I mean, we don't know. I'm just saying that the heuristic should never be like, here's the window that you're allowed to opine on and this is outside the window and therefore I can mock those people. You know, there's a window among the people. It's probably a lot wider than the normie window who listen to this podcast. There's a window for you guys who, you know, what you're willing to believe. And there's things outside that window too, but I'm not going to say what's outside this window is presumptively false. I'm just going to say, okay, maybe I'm not there yet, but show me the evidence. And if I'm not motivated to look at the evidence, then I'll just say, maybe, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say one thing or another really about that. All right. That was basically that thing. It was just, you know, a Noster, you had these people and some of them were like, one woman was like, you just don't know anything about the real world, do you? People in oppressed countries, they cannot post under their real names. And I was like, okay, fine. I, again, a gay man in Uganda probably should not be posting under his real name about gay rights. But most of the people on Noster are posting in English and the way they talk and the way they post. These are Western people, Americans, Canadians, although Canada, shit, fuck. I wouldn't say shit if I lived in Canada. That's a fucking police state. But, uh, you know, Western Europe, Canada, Australia, you, I mean, it's mostly those countries, maybe some South America. And so, you know, most of you guys can fucking say some shit, you know, under your real names. You're not going to fucking jail for it. So I thought that was kind of bullshit. And some other people are saying basically like, oh yeah, using your own identity, it's like a yellow star. You know, the, the yellow stars you got if you're a Jew in, in Nazi Germany. And I thought about that. I'm like, so you think you are this hunted that you're basically like a Jew in Nazi Germany any minute going to be taken to the concentration camps. Now, there's a few things that's wrong with this besides the extremeness of the analogy, but I do want to take the analogy fairly. I want to give the guy credit. It's one is, you know, you didn't choose to wear a yellow star. It was imposed upon you. So I'm talking about voluntary identification, not somebody doxing you. So that's one huge difference from what I'm saying. But what he's saying, it's an identifying marker that can get you in trouble. I think that's what he was trying to say. And I was sort of like, you think that your, you know, right now you, in the situation in Western countries, and it is bad. There is like this massive censorship industrial complex. It is real. Some guy just went to jail uh, for posting a meme about the election of Hillary Clinton. That's real. Like there is, there have been, you know, the January 6th people are being uh, prosecuted way overzealously for what should be trespass at best. And probably not even that given that the guards open the doors. I mean, there is repression here. It's not, it's not nothing. But are you really in 1930s, late 1930s Germany when the Jews got a yellow star? Is it really that bad? And some of these people feel like that's the case. Now, again, I'm a little bit like that, right? I feel like there's real persecution going on and there's real, you know, we're fomenting these wars and we're, we really did not let people travel or go into restaurants if you didn't have your proof of vaccination. I mean, this shit really happened. So it's not, I'm not, I don't want to say that that comparison is like, 
so ridiculous. I just think that we need to have sort of a realistic understanding. And it's very hard right now. We don't really know, right? Is this just a big fucking bluff? They're now saying, oh, we didn't force anybody. You never had to get the vaccine. It was just encouraged, which is bullshit because you really were barred from regular things that you had a right to do. But the point is, they're now pretending like they didn't have the authority and they didn't really do it, that it was just more of a suggestion and that everybody just voluntarily went along with it. And so everything in a way is a little bit of a bluff, right? Like if if you go, if everybody goes along with it, then the bluff just becomes real and that becomes reality. But how much are they bluffing and how much am I really risking? I'm in the EU. The EU is fucking censorship hell. Like, you know, this podcast, am I really risking something? I don't really feel like it. Now, I don't want to be like those woke activists who said crime is you know, it was fine and we need to live with it and then got stabbed to death, you know, poo-pooing the threat and then getting got with the threat that I was poo-pooing. I, I definitely do not want to be those people, but it's very hard to assess the facts right now. Like, where are we in terms of the reality? Now, I think, you know, Jews in late thirties, Germany seems we're not there yet. You know, I mean, that seems pretty clear to me, but where are we on this? And I don't think it would happen exactly in that way. They'd more shut down your bank accounts, but where are we? You know, I think this is a real, this is kind of a real question. Like, like, is this a bluff? And I almost feel like there's this reverse psychology, not reverse psychology, but almost like the more I speak out under my own name, the more untouchable I am in some way, because I'm a little bit more scary because it's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll fucking sue you if you come after me and I'll go public and I'll make a big stink of it. And they're kind of like, okay, we know who this guy is. He's not like fomenting terrorist attacks against the state. We can live with this guy. We can live with this guy. We have to live with this guy. And he's more of a pain in the ass, right? a little bit more powerful. If you're a name who's posting all sorts of stuff that you know, you're terrified of being found out about, and then AI or through some doxing gets you found out, I actually think you're more likely to get got than me. I hope I'm not proven wrong by that. I hope nobody gets got, to be honest. But because I, again, even NIMS have absolute right to free speech and even their anonymity. But I almost feel like you guys that are hiding are in more danger than me. Like it's the horror movie and the killer's coming. And if you, you know, hide in the closet and you're just waiting for him and he's like shuffling through the stuff, you're like in the laundry closet and he's like banging around the, the closet with his ax and, and he's looking for you and you're just cowering in absolute terror in those horror movies you're going to get fucking killed, right? The person who hides gets killed. And the person who's just like, you know, your best bet is to, is to fight, you know, is to stand up. And I also think societally, the only way this shit goes away is if we all just say, look, I'm who I am. You know who I am. I'm not giving my phone number and address, but you know who I am. Here's my picture. Here's who I am. I'm pretty easy to find contact and fuck you. I have the right to free speech. And this is what I actually believe. And I'm going to stand up for it. And I think just in general, that's how rights get preserved. So, you know, I, I think it's, where are we right now? You know, are we in late thirties, Nazi Germany? Or are we somewhere else? I think part of where we are gets determined by how we behave. If we behave like we are in that situation, we may, we will ironically be more likely to get into that situation because we're empowering the censors to keep hammering every single person who puts their head up and even go after and dox the people who are in hiding. But if we stand up and say, fuck you, we are in peak free speech America. I don't know when that is. It probably never was truly free speech. There was always subversive CIA deep state shit going on. But you know, in the 1990s, you weren't really afraid to voice your opinion or even the early days of the internet, you weren't really 
is afraid to, to voice a controversial opinion, just act like this is the fucking ethos that we have as a people in the Western world and fuck you. And if we do that, then they say, oh yeah, we were just bluffing. You know, when they got sued and the mandate had to get dropped, it's like, oh, well, we never really forced you. Yeah, then why'd you have to get sued? But if we stand up, then they stand down and they're not going to want a part of this. And the other thing is it persuades people. There's a lot of normies who just don't say a lot of what they think because they don't see anyone else doing it. Why are they going to be the ones to get their heads chopped off? But if everybody's doing it, they can't fight everybody. You know, I remember this video. It was an awesome video. There were these ants, these killer ants, these giant red ants, and they would eat flesh. They were flesh-eating ants. And the narrator, and there's like a camera, it's like the ants are coming to the chicken coop. And they said, the chicken enjoys a nice, tasty protein snack. And the chicken's like eating a bunch of the ants as it comes into his cage. But of course, the fucking ants eat every ounce of that chicken except the beak. You know, they swarm it. He ate probably a couple hundred of those fuckers before he got got. And we're the ants in this analogy. They're the chicken. A couple of us can get got. We're going to eat every motherfucking ounce of those fuckers. They can't, they can't fight a billion people hundreds of millions of people who are speaking out, they're just going to say, oh yeah, we, we never meant it. We were just trying to keep you safe. We, we, it was always voluntary. So this huge question of where are we now in the landscape is, well, who are you now? What are you doing now? That's the answer. And you know, I'm just one person, but I'm going to act as though I have freedom. I'm going to act like a free person. And of course I take precautions. Of course, I would not try to get work at a corporation now. Now you can say, well, that's convenient for you. You know, you, you had a company at the time where it's possible to be yourself at a company and you sold the company and you live pretty frugally now. And you know, you, that's, that's good for you. But I, that was a design I had. I think you should live below your means. I think you should live to have, preserve your freedom and not be in a point where you have to keep your job. You have to lie uh, in your real life and post the truth on the internet that you're, that you're boxed in this way. I think you should try to do things to keep, none of us are totally free. I mean, I, I don't want to get my bank accounts closed and, I, and I'm, you know, I have some concern about that, obviously. You know, you should buy some Bitcoin and have a little bit of insurance policy though. Right now that's not, you know, but if they started closing bank accounts en masse, that would really become a huge insurance policy. But the point is, you know, take precautions. But in general, I think we make the era that we're in and um, and this whole ethos of Noster was kind of like, that's why I wrote the piece and got, and not surprised I got so much blowback. It's like, fuck you. You people are, have this ethos of fear with this freedom tech and you're not using it. And most of them are millennials. No, no offense to millennials. I have, I have a lot of respect for particular millennials, but in general, like, you know, they, they were like trying to insult me, call me a boomer and all this shit, but it's like, no, you guys are just being pussies in my opinion. You have the freedom tech. You know, and how can you get your life to a point where, and they did get fucked. I mean, one thing that's fair, it's unfair to them and fair in their defense is that the boomer stole the fucking money and Gen X got some of it, smaller generation, and the millennials got totally fucked. There's a lot less for them and they're a little bit more desperate um, financially. And, and I can sympathize with that. But I also think that, you know, as an individual, especially if you're sort of educated and tech savvy enough to be on Noster in the first place, there should be options of adding value to people um, rather than just working for Google or someplace where you can't tell the truth. Try to add value to somebody and draw a paycheck and live beneath your means so that you have freedom. I mean, who gives a fuck about the latest toy or gadget or something to show off for somebody else? Um, have the freedom to be who you are. All right, that's that. That's uh, 
mostly what I had to say. I guess one other kind of related topic, what level of free speech do we have? How perilous is it out there? That question is also sort of, what the fuck is going on? There was like a headline that Israel bombed a hospital and the New York Times posted that replete with a fake photo. <laughs> and then it turns out that it was an errant uh, missile from Palestine and they didn't really kill 500 people. Not that they're not killing people elsewhere, but just the idea that, the, you know, that anything you're getting from this conflict is, is totally unreliable. And I mentioned last week, like there's Chinese people dropping dead on those videos and we're like, holy shit, this is the real one. This is the virus. I just think like all this stuff, you really need to, to doubt. I mean, like have deep doubt about it. You can have theories about it. I think you should have theories about it and then fit those theories to the facts and see if over time um, they hold up. But it's a little bit dangerous, this situation, because people don't know where they stand free speech wise. They don't know, you know, what's true factually at all. You see people, there's no measure that's, that would be overboard to retaliate against the horrible attacks. We have people saying the attacks were deserved. You have all these takes of people so sure in their stances about everything, about all this stuff. Um, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't really know what the fuck is going on. And so if you have a scenario where everything is kind of this fog of war, not just war, but medical truths and truths about the news and political truths, everything's in this big, you know, what's going on in the markets and the economy. It's all this fog of war. You know, they redefine recession. If there's whatever, like two straight quarters of negative growth is a recession, but now they redefined it. So that's not, a you know, everything is, is fucking up in the air. I think there's a Hannah Arendt quote that um, to really propagandize the people, it's not people who believe in fascism or are willing to do bad things. It's people who just don't know what's true anymore. They can't tell fact from fiction. I think we're sort of dangerously in this zone where you can't trust anything right now. And so, you know, what do you do in that situation? Well, a lot of people, what they do is they just they just go along with whatever they think the strongest tribe is, right? I mean, that, that's sort of the, what am I incentivized to do? Because nothing's true and I have no ground to stand on, then I just get blown away in the wind. You know, if I can't stand my ground, I'm blown away. And what blows you away? The strongest wind, the strongest tribe, the biggest incentive professionally and socially. And that's what you see. You know, a lot of people, anyone with a certain kind of job, I mean, you almost know what they can and can't say. I mean, they, they basically just shut up now about COVID pretty much because well, it was in their incentive to say stuff before, but now it's like so obviously false. They just shut the fuck up. I don't have any people in my mentions giving me free medical advice. No more Pfizer interns are telling me to uh, take another booster anymore. You know, only 2% of people took the booster now. And so all these people yelling anti-vaxxer, maybe they become anti-vaxxers themselves, I think, because unless they're all in that 2%, what happened to them? Again, I've said this many times. I don't even think they remember it. I think if I were to retweet some of these people who called me an anti-vaxxer, and, and this is before I was like, the vaccines are killing people because I didn't know. I didn't have any evidence at that point. I just said, mandates are wrong. That's all I said is people should take it if they want it. They shouldn't take it. They shouldn't be forced to take it. That's all I was saying. And they were yelling anti-vaxxer. These people probably don't remember it. I think they've memory hold it. I think they just can't even imagine being that person now that would be like that. And if I retweeted it, they would be shocked. I mean, I think they would say, well, at the time, and they'd probably justify it somehow, most of them. But I don't even think it occurs to them that that's what they were doing. But anyway, my point is just that given that everything is so up in the air factually and that even a guy telling me that 9-11 itself was fake, I'm, again, I'm not saying that there weren't unexplained parts of it, that the actual, you know, 2,900 people died was fake, that like there actually aren't real people who died. 
You know, there were, you know, a handful maybe, but not real, you know, not nearly in those numbers. I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm not persuaded by that, but I'm not going to bet my life that he's wrong. I would not bet my life that he's wrong on that. Given an environment like that, where what the fuck is history even, you know, what the fuck do we even know about anything? All these narratives we've been told, this is very dangerous because if you don't have ground to stand on, then you just go with what you're incentivized. If I, if I don't know who the good and bad guys are anymore, there are no good and bad guys, then fuck, I'm just going to look out for number one. And number one is basically just, you know, virtue signaling, like you're looking out for the whole world, like you care about the poor people of this country or the oppressed people of that country or the victimized people who were attacked of this country. You signal all sorts of bullshit, but you're really just saying, okay, who's got my back? How can I get, you know, the strongest gang on my side, which is what I see happening. But what do you really do if you don't want to be an unprincipled sort of mercenary in that way? What do you do? Because you don't really know. Well, I think first off, you wait for the facts. I talked about this last week, like a court of law, you wait until facts really come out before having a strong opinion on the facts. And even then I would change my opinion if it turned out that somehow I was misled or went down the wrong road on something. I think I would have to change my opinion and say, fuck, sorry, that was wrong. And I had, I'd been sort of beating the drum for this interpretation of facts. And it turned out that I was actually wrong. I would do that. I would have to do that. But what do you do before you even get enough evidence? And you know, you're not really, I'm not really going through all like the footage of burned babies and stuff. I don't, I don't want to see that stuff. And it's really just not what's in my immediate sphere of interest to decide what's really true and what's false here. I'm just not going to have too much of an opinion on the facts on the ground here. So, you know, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go from first principles, which is, you know, Israel mandated this medicine on their people. They experimented on them. I'm pretty sure that's true. The reports of the mandates and the strict policies in Israel that were there before even the U.S. had them. And I'm pretty sure that Netanyahu is capable of some pretty bad things. And so I know the U.S. certainly is capable of it. Dick Cheney and George Bush and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden lobbying support for that war in Iraq and Syria and Libya and other things that we've done. So I'm going to say that the Israeli government would do pretty terrible things. And I think it's weird that they didn't know about this attack or took a while to respond to it. Um, so I'm not going to say that that's what happened, but I'm going to say it's plausible that that happened. And if it's plausible to me that that's what happened, it's going to be hard for me to start jumping into the facts that then follow from that. You know, the the idea that it seems very likely to me that there were horrendous atrocities committed by Hamas in that attack. It seems like that seems true to me. And it seems true that Israel has killed a lot of Palestinians who were innocent uh, before and since. Those both seem true to me. Again, I don't really have direct evidence of it, but just from a life of observing the back and forth, it seems like both those things are true, that there have been horrendous terrorist attacks against Israel and that Israel has inflicted some serious harm and death on innocent Palestinians. So the, the sort of first principles way I look at it is I kind of hope that no regular, ordinary Israeli people get hurt. And I hope that no regular, ordinary Palestinian people get hurt. And my belief is that they're all human beings on both sides. The innocent ones, I mean, the Hamas is human beings too, but they, they, you reap what you sow. And the Israeli government is also human beings, but you reap what you sow too. But the people in Israel and the people in Palestine, um, those are human beings with families like me. And so that's whose side I'm on and I hope they don't get hurt. And that's sounds very like 
tepid of a take, but that's really the only take that I can can stand by given all the fog of war shit that's going on. And I don't know. I mean, it's just sort of first principles. And and that, you know, when the media is lying about Israel bombing a hospital and then and using fake photos, I mean, how can you use a fake photo? It means you're deliberately putting something there. It was a photo from like something that wasn't there. You know what? I don't even want to say that they used a fake photo because I just saw a report that they used a fake photo. And my heuristic is the New York Times lies all the time. So that's actually, I shouldn't even say they used a fake photo. I heard that they used a fake photo and that they've now sort of backtracked on this initial report. I actually don't really know what happened with respect to that. I've seen some things online that make it seem like that's that that was bullshit. But honestly, and I don't even want to get into it. I, that's why I'm not into like, you know, the 2020 election. Like, well, no, they, they did a recount, but it was supervised, but it wasn't supervised by these people, but they swore that this and their, you know, their own Republican government. I, I'm not getting into the fucking details of the evidence. I'm not going to get into it. I just look at the first principles. Would they cheat if they could? Yeah, I, I feel like, 99.999% sure that if either party could cheat to get their preferred result in the election and get and they thought they could get away with it, that they would. And then I go from there. I don't go from, you know, I'm going to be the guy who deep dives into all the shit. Now, I, I, I love it when people do. And, you know, Ted Bell did a great job on the uh, whole Trump-Russia collusion thing, diving into it in a way that you're like, it's pretty clear that this is bullshit. And I like when people do that. It's a huge service, but I'm not that guy. I'm the first principles guy. Um, just one last funny note, because this is going on for a long time. The Telegraph came out with a, uh, an article saying that George Orwell was sadistic, misogynistic, homophobic, and sometimes violent, <laughs> which I think is just hilarious because you never get canceled when your predictions are wrong, right? If, if you're just somebody who said all this shit, like you won't get this, you won't get COVID if you take this vaccine. You don't get canceled for that when your predictions are wrong. If they're trying to cancel you, especially like, I don't know, 50 years after your death, that means you're probably a prophet. They only cancel the prophets. Snowden is, is in exile and Julian Assange is in prison. Those are the people that get canceled. George Orwell, they're trying to pathetically retroactively cancel. It's only because they're right. Somebody, I saw a meme saying, if masks work, they would have been banned because you know they needed the vaccine. If masks actually stopped the spread and we were done with the virus, they would have been banned also. To the extent that people are canceled, pay attention to them. Usually they're probably speaking some truth. One last, last thing. Um, it's a little disturbing, but basically a lot of banks like Bank of America and Charles Schwab, which I have money at, they are functionally insolvent because banks need to have collateral to lend and they're no longer on the gold standard. There's no banks with gold. So what banks often have, they have reserves at the uh, Federal Reserve and they often have treasuries that they own. And so a lot of these banks to get collateralized had a lot of long-term treasury bills and they bought these. It's just routine. You just buy the T-bills. That's the best collateral. It's US government-backed debt. Um, but they bought these when they were yielding long-term 1% or less and now, you know, their CDs have to pay out 5% to stay competitive. And the interest rates are, you know, 30 years, you know, to get a mortgage is 8% now. Not a lot of takers there though. And so these, this, if you mark to market that debt, in other words, these banks, they're at, their liabilities are your bank. This is very scary, right? Let's say you lent money to your friend. You're like, I'll lend you a thousand bucks. Just pay me back in three months. He's like, great. Thanks so much, man. And then you happen to see him 
smoking a crack pipe on the street with some degenerates. You just see him like one day when you're driving by and you're like, uh-oh, I lent that guy a thousand bucks. Shit. You're going to start to worry whether you're going to get that thousand bucks back. And so you have these banks. Now you have deposits at these banks. So you have a deposit at your bank. You have 10 grand in the bank. And what does that mean? Is that your money, that 10 grand in the bank? Well, not really, right? If it was your money, it would be in cash. And even cash has to be redeemable for something. But if it was gold, it would be money. If it was Bitcoin, it would be actual money. Bearer asset, no counterparty risk. Even cash is somewhat of that to the extent that people are still taking US dollars or euros or whatever. But you don't have that. You have a, a digital marker when you log on that says you have 10 grand in your bank account. So what is that in the bank? And what is it really? Well, it's an IOU. It's, it's actually a liability for the bank. They owe you money, right? It's, it's money that, the, that you're lending to the bank, essentially. You're lending money to the bank at a very low interest rate in your regular checking account. So the bank on its balance sheet marks your account as a liability. So, okay, is the bank the crackhead that you lent the thousand bucks to, or in this case, 10,000? Well, the bank has reserves, right? It has them at the Fed and it also has reserves in the form of T-bills. But these T-bills that they have that was the basis for supporting all the accounts that everybody has, those T-bills, first of all, it's fractionally reserved, right? So they've lent out 10 times what they have in reserve, but as long as everybody doesn't ask for it once, it's okay. But those T-bills now that are paying 1% for 30 years, I don't know what the duration of all, it might've been 10 years. What's the going right now? Well, it's 5%. So... If you have $20 billion in bonds that are paying you 1% a year, that means you're making $200 million a year in interest on those bonds. So you have an instrument, say, for 10 years that's going to pay you $200 million a year. So what's that worth? Well, in a 1% environment, that's worth $20 billion, what you paid for it. But in a 5% environment, the income stream of $200 million a year is worth four billion. So those bonds that were backing up the IOUs that they have to you, their assets that were backing up their liabilities, which is your money quotes, is now four billion instead of 20 billion. And they were already 10x leveraged probably or whatever anyway. So now they're 50x leveraged or whatever it is. And so now you're like, this is the guy smoking the crack pipe. Now the Fed could always step in and say, okay, well, you have insurance, the FDIC, but you know we're talking about everybody's insurance. It's not one bank. This is many banks have this problem. So the Fed would just step in and make reserves for everybody, and then then you have an inflation problem. Then you have you know the, the chance for hyperinflation where you end up losing the money, but not because the bank doesn't have it, but because you get diluted. But anyway, I just figured I would mention that because I think Bank of America and Schwab are very very underwater if you mark to market their assets based on those T-bills they bought. And it's hilarious because, I mean, imagine being a regular person buying a 30-year T-bill. Say you have 100 grand. You're like, oh, I'll buy a 30-year bond that I get paid 1,000 a year for 30 years on this bond or $500 a year. That's, that's what I'm doing for 30 years. Now, if you're a trader and you think it's going to go, the rates will go lower, you could sell the bond at a profit. But if you are a long-term, you know, you want to get income off your bond, which is what it's supposed to be for, why would you ever lock yourself into a 30-year contract with such a meager, historically low rate? And now, of course, they raised the rates so much that you just got totally fucked. Full disclosure, what I've been doing, and I don't know that this is safe either, but I don't know what's safe, you know, in terms of my like fiat holdings, is I'm buying like one-month bonds at 5%, one and a half, two months. 
and just letting them mature and then buying them again. Because I feel like if something seismic happens, I might still get fucked, but at least I won't get fucked because I, I literally have to sell. If you try to sell your 30-year bond from two years ago, um, you're going to get you know 20 cents on the dollar for it. And so if I can just wait till my bonds mature, you know, if it's at 5% and then going rates go to 7%, I don't have to sell at a loss. I can just let it mature and then buy it at 7% the following month. And if it goes up again, you know, I can just buy it again. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not, um, I'm not committing to this. And of course I have, to the extent the cash is still good, I have cash available when they mature to go buy something else with it. Perhaps an asset that's a little bit more uh, limited supply unconfiscatable, uncensorable, if I so choose. All right, that's going to do it. Till next time.